You're listening to Men With Spirit. Join us as we explore what it means to be a modern man and live a spirited life. Hello and welcome to Men With Spirit on Radio Karam. This is episode 51 and now last for 2023. If you're new to the show, our aim is to explore topics, ideas and knowledge to help you become more authentically connected with yourself and with others. And integral to this is to live your life according to your values. The Radio Show is also an extension of the work we do in our Men With Spirit weekly men's group. My name is Steve Angel and I'm joined each episode with my co-host Peter Anthony. How are you, Peter? G'day, Steve. No, I'm, I'm well. I'm excited by this being episode 51 and having Ian with us today. Yeah. So today our guest is making his return to the show. His last appearance was back in October 22, episode 30. The show was titled The Underrepresentation of Men in Spirituality and still remains one of our highest rated episodes to date. Today, the topic will be the life of men. So please welcome back to the show, Ian Rogers, co-director of Sphinx Spiritual. Welcome, Ian. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Peter. Now, the life of men, Ian, where does one begin to talk about a topic such as as broad as the life of men? I'm not sure, Steve, but where I I shall start is I wonder what genius... I'm sorry for that slight note of facetiousness, introduced us to the thought of hunter-gatherer. And as a consequence of men being hunter-gatherers, we're superior. Mm. And men are consistently taken back to the time of the caveman, or ostensibly the time of the caveman, whereby the man was superior because he had the prowess and the capability to go out and hunt food and bring it back to the to the cave which was the family home <clears throat> the family home by the way made not by the man but by nature and put into place and kept into place by the woman it's a reasonable division of duty but who introduced the concept that getting the food was superior to keeping the home and preparing the food it wasn't man at the time. That wasn't their notion at all because they were much more advanced than that. So that's a thought that's come in over time. It's almost been a thought of convenience or happenstance that's come into someone's mind and thought, oh, this is a nice way to justify the superiority of man over woman. And that's the thing about the lives of men. That's the thing that holds men back more than anything is this notion of superiority. If we skip forward by millions of years to to the American Indians, and I am favoured towards the story of the American Indians because of my guide, Crazy Horse, who was of the Lakota Sioux Nation. (coughs) They were the hunter-gatherers, the men. In no way did they see themselves as superior to the women. It was an equal role, and they went and were taught how to go and hunt the buffalo, and then the division of the buffalo into all of its components that allowed daily life from toys to bowls to um, if they had such a thing as cutlery, which of course they didn't. But everything they took off the buffalo, the warmth, everything, and that was all done by the woman. They rejoiced the, the female role and they saw it as entirely equal. 
these were the same people that the white man at the time called savages, who saw women as inferior. Fascinating how we can be deluded into stories of superiority and inferiority. And all of this started from this notion of hunter-gatherer, the one who hunts the food is the big brave one and the, and the other one's inferior. And, 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 and the thoughts, the pictures of, are conjured up of, in, the, in the days of the caveman of them beating their, their chest as if they were some heroic um, figure coming back with, with food. It was their job. Mm. It, it was what required. If they didn't get food, they starved, the family died. There's also a notion that somewhere back in that time, Caveman was not only prehistoric but underdeveloped vis-a-vis mm. today. And what supports that? There is no notion. Earth doesn't have a knowledge of any accuracy or science doesn't have any knowledge of accuracy as how man came to be on Earth and women. <clears throat> what their roles were, it, there's an assumption. So history's been coloured and history's been painted somewhere along the line to put men to put men as uh, superior to women. That's the sad part. Mm. So to be clear, <laughs> so I can understand, the, the notion that you're talking about is actually in retrospect. So we're not, we're not saying that the cavemen or, it, as you said with the Lakota Sioux, saw themselves particularly as more uh, superior because they have this particular role. But we're looking back. At some point, we're looking back and saying, we're saying that they are, were more superior. We most certainly are, mm. and, and that's the sad part. And it's based upon nothing. Mm. There's no. It's just. It's just an argument of convenience that somehow man is created to to assist man's feeling of greatness, and it's it's it, it really defies logic, and it really has set man up to fail, and and that's very sad. If we look at the life of a man from birth. In modern times, <clears throat> when the child is born, and let's assume for a moment that they didn't know whether it would be a, a boy or a girl, and in this story it's a boy who was born, and they're terribly excited because they've got a boy. But they're not saying to the boy, thank God you're a boy, you're superior to girls. We didn't want that inferior gender of female we've got you yes that's not said it's not thought it's not felt there might be a cultural expectation and a hope that they'll have a boy to carry on the line but that's not about superiority that's just to carry on the line because there's a cultural expectation that men will do that mm. less so today but um it, it's been thus in history for a long time when does it change uh, what point does it change that the boy's taught to be superior o over a girl. And that starts, um, there's, there's no formal class where parents say, today is Tuesday and we're going to sit down for an hour and teach your son why you're superior to women. It, it, it's more by osmosis and indirect teaching. Mm. And part of that is the lack of... Um, no, I'll, I'll change that. For, for some boys, it's frowned upon by the parents to do girls' things, to do girls' activities. It's not so frowned upon for girls to do boys' activities, particularly if they have a dad who wanted them to be a boy. 
but that's that's a side note. And, and lots of comments are made to, 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 to children, to boys, about that's not what boys do. Boys don't cry. Boys don't wear pink. I'm not sure why, but boys don't play with dolls. I'm also not sure why. They infiltrate. Then we get to school or preschool and there's all sorts of natural segregation takes place where boys start to segregate and be with boys and they play like games in a like way. And girls tend more to segregate and be with girls doing the games and the things that girls do and never the twain shall meet. That's really odd. And that would only... That wouldn't happen if there was more, uh, forgive this saying, a a unisex approach. Um, So in in other words, your gender is not important, child. You're a person. Mm -hmm. Why why do parents teach girls about feelings, not boys? Mm. Boys don't cry. Spare me. Mm -hmm. What sort of a parent would teach that to their child? And that child will carry that for life. Mm-hmm. And every time they go to cry, they're going to feel less than a man. Mm. And that is so dash sad. Boys don't show their feelings. Says who? Says the parent because their parent taught them. And these are the confusions. And, and we're starting to now see how boys begin to feel different. And in that difference, they begin to feel stronger physically. Therefore, they begin to feel superior and that's encouraged because they're seeing that everywhere around them in their life. Not, not amongst teachers per se, but amongst their parents, um, family, etc. There's still a major cultural issue in the world at large that says in a family structure that the man's superior mm-hmm. and they act accordingly. Moreover, the child by osmosis watches and copies the way the father treats the mother the way the grandfather treats the grandmother and on it goes and they're not good models in the main and there are exceptions to what we're talking about but we're trying to paint this broad picture of the superiority of man therefore affecting the life of, of man or men mm-hmm. not not in their favorites it's not to the advantage of men to feel and think like this then they move on through school and they move into sports and generally into different sports or certainly into different sporting teams. And that also is odd. They get together in things like plays and, and it's more generic in, in that respect. But everything is about segregating the gender and there's always an underlying theme of the superiority of men. And, and this thing about women being equal and there's a major push for the last 30 or up to 50 years for that and that's grand and in many respects they're equal but in in the mind of so many men and children coming through they're not and that's pervasive and that will spread down into the generation after this one when does it ever get to stop what parent sits their son down and says it's time for some emotional lessons it's time to learn how to feel It's time to understand how to treat a woman. You watched your father do that. That's not okay for these reasons. You watch your grandfather do that. That's not okay Mm -hmm. for these reasons. It doesn't happen. And it's that lack of attention to detail. Now, we might say that, oh, but parents are busy. 
busy doing what? Busy doing their life? As against taking on the responsibility of being a parent. And that's something that never goes. There's no respite for a parent from, from the time the child is thought about and then conceived until the death of the parent or the child. There's no respite and there ought not be. That duty of parent to child and child to parent, but predominantly parent to child and the teaching and oversighting must go on forever. So, so men have this thing that they're taught to be superior indirectly. They're not taught directly about feelings. They're not taught and taught about emotions enough. So there's so many men want their sons to emulate them, to copy them. And that's usually in activities, whether that be riding a motorbike or, or playing some particular sport, or indeed it might be a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. But not enough time is spent teaching the child, the son, where the, where the husband went wrong, where the father went wrong, and what he's learned along the journey. Mm. And that is so sad for the children. So they don't have anything. They don't have any instruction, any model to look to. How then can they cope with their life? How can they do anything and make anything successful? Peter? Is it, um, is it too late for a father to... Is it ever too late for a father to then apologise and point out where they went wrong in their life? It's and never too late. Mm. It just isn't heard as easily <laughs> mm. um, because the child is so hell-bent on proving themselves in all of the wrong ways that they choose not to hear it. Mm. or to hear it and dissipate it, um, um, to, to play it down to some degree. Therefore, it loses some of its import. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the sad part. But, Peter, better late than never. Mm. It's, it's a very true saying. And, and it doesn't matter if the parent is 80 and, and the child is 60. Mm. It's better at some time. It's not just apologising. Um, it's pointing out where they went wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you've got things to apologise for, but mostly you've got things to explain. Hmm. You can, can I ask, sorry, can I just ask one other question with regard to um, uh, single-sex boys' schools? <laughs> what, does that make the situation worse? I was a victim about? of one of those. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> <laughs> so I can speak with some authority. Disaster. Mm. Uh, for the sake of mankind and, uh, well, humankind, uh, they should be banned. Uh, and look, they don't have much of a place today. Now, I don't believe there are that many of them because, you know, wise heads have prevailed. Not that they always do an education, but, but in this case, they have. And it sets you back in different ways, not because there's such a focus on pom boy stuff, but it's the lack of focus upon girl stuff. Mm. And you, you come out of a boys' school, well, certainly I did, um, uh, without any knowledge, comprehension or understanding of, of, of girls and women. And it's not necessarily so that you gain that in, in, in a co-educational school, but what you do gain is a familiarity. Mm. So uh, those like you and I, Peter, we didn't even have the familiarity. Mm. So we're stumbling along in the dark without any real understanding and hoping to find a woman who might be able to teach us and be patient enough to, as we're believing we're superior. Mm. And we're back on the same theme, so it becomes a difficulty. Mm. I have a question just back at um, teaching boys' feelings. It, it, it feels like it because you've got a, a father who's not 
aware of what he's doing and he's has adopted the superiority it's the responsibility he's suggesting is going to be with the mother to point out those things oh, that it should be the, it should be with the dad but it, it should be with both parents it's not that children don't feel naturally um, give a child a teddy bear mm. um, and, and and the number of men who are retired walking around will remember the teddy bear mm-hmm. <laughs> because of what it made them feel mm-hmm. mostly it made them feel safe mm-hmm. and in times of aloneness and difficulty they felt safe with the teddy bear and they could tell it a story and they could feel loved but they couldn't talk about that mm-hmm. and they weren't encouraged to go to your room and hug your teddy bear and tell your teddy bear the story and what did you feel son as you shared with the teddy bear and what can we do to make sure that that teddy bear is there all of the time and on the story goes rather than taking that teddy bear away from them at a certain age that they deem that's enough you're, you're old enough now to oh, yes sadly steve that's a very good point for some reason that you know at an age usually the latest of 12 mm. Mm. you shouldn't have a teddy bear or Why a blankie not? or something yeah. that, that was secure <laughs> for them. They go, that's enough, no, yeah. No, that's funny. <laughs> that's another thing that parents love to do, give quaint names that have no meaning, blankie. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly people would call it a blanket unless you're yeah. French perhaps. Yes. <laughs> you don't pronounce the T. Um, it, 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 is, it is interesting. One moment, I'm sorry. <coughs> takes us on to we leave school in our case, Peter, with a little knowledge of women, but in in the case of, of, of the majority, you know, they've, they've had better access to, to women than, than we had. And then you try and get into a relationship and you form a relationship and the hope is that one day that might lead to a marriage and a family, etc. On what basis? There's so little knowledge passed on about what a relationship is mm-hmm. so many times you hear at weddings what's the piece of advice you'd give to this couple and how often do you hear learn what a relationship is you never hear that that just seems to happen magically but it doesn't boys are then stuck with this problem of getting into a, a relationship which might or might not be permanent And uh, they haven't got any notion other than they're meant to be the lead and they're meant to be superior. The woman's been taught, not directly, indirectly, again by osmosis, that the man is superior and they'll lead the way. But that's not what the women think. It's not what they believe. They know their place. (laughs) They know that emotions are much more powerful than brute force. They know that the ability to go and hunt a piece of meat or food of whatever sort is much less important than keeping the family together and getting everyone's feelings out and growing up emotionally stable and secure. (coughs) They will, unfortunately, women tend to manipulate men a lot, especially in the early days, by playing along with the man's game of superiority but not feeling it. what they're hoping for is one of two things they can change the man or somehow if they please the man enough the man will magically recognise them but that's not what men do we're superior Mm -hmm. so being superior we can take for granted and in taking for granted we do nothing 
we just expect. And the woman silently becomes disenchanted and thinks, what's, what's in this relationship for me? There's the occasional romance, there's a lot of expectation, there's financial pressure, there's children as, as we grow. But I'm unrecognised and I'm not treated equally. And the division of labour is unfair. Moreover, no different to the caveman, the tasks I do are seen to be less important than the tasks that men do. I, of course, I'm generalising, mm. but the point's still valid as a generality. <clears throat> what happens then is that once a, a woman gets to her mid-30s, she begins to say, I need more. And she'll complain and eventually she'll find a way to, to express it to the man, which is generally not understood. Why would he? Because what she's not saying is, what makes you think you're superior? What happened to equality? Is that not a notion you're ever taught? Someone has to teach the man about equality and the only one who can is women. It's not other men because men have bought this caveman nonsense. <laughs> And, and mm. it's really difficult. Mm. If the woman doesn't find a way to grow and get enough strength to confront the man strongly and put it clearly before him as to what she needs, well, then there's going to be a breakup. It might not happen straight away, but in the ensuing 10 years, it probably will, if the man doesn't change or find a need to change. And why would he need to find a change? Because who will he go and talk to to say, what am I doing wrong? Not his parents, because they've never been a model. They've never told him anything, and he never sees them as a resource. Because my parenting doesn't include ongoing advice to my child. So he goes and finds other men. Mm -hmm. And other men say, we're superior. Of course, they don't use that language, but that's the tenet of what they're saying. There's no hope. Mm -hmm. And so the marriage breaks up or they stay together, but not together, and it becomes unhappy. We move through life and then we come to a, a phase of, re, uh, of retirement. And a man has invested himself in his work, his mates, his golf, his sport, his tennis or whatever. And, all, and his children have left home. All of a sudden, he's stuck with his wife. His wife thinks, I'm stuck with my husband. Mm -hmm. She thinks that much worse than he does. He's lost. He doesn't have the same contact with other men, and he has to form a new relationship. Few do. Some do, but few do, because the male still wants to do what the male wants to do. And the woman should still fit in. And she says, hang about. That's, that's, my life's been too much of that. I'm not going to take that anymore. And therefore we see, in broad terms, two forms of couples in, in retirement. <clears throat> Pardon me. Those who find a way to start a new relationship where there's something of equality, if not total equality. And those who say, no, no, no. I'm still superior. I'm still... I'm the one who provided the superannuation. I'm the one who does these things and I'll determine and I'll dictate and I still want you to run after me and bring my dinner to me, etc. That's not only a failed relationship, that's a failed retirement. And they're consigning themselves and their partner to unhappiness for the rest of their time. And that's the sad part. All because this all goes back to this notion of superiority. 
And spiritually, what we say is something quite different, and that if we were to argue about superiority, we, we would say that that's women. Because we say that the need to be emotionally developed, emotionally aware, is much more important than the ability to um, go and do a physical task or, or just to make money. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not to presume that women don't make money. That's, that's not the point I'm making. It's much more broad than that. And women know this because they've been helped by their mothers from the start. The man is such a slow learner and he wants to hold on to this caveman nonsense. The outcome of that is just disaster and unhappiness. There's, there's one overriding theme and that superiority leads to unhappiness. It's an, an inevitable trail. Does, mm. does that, that trail show up particularly for men, not just in retirement, but do you see it in other stages of their life? Oh, and it's in every stage. Because I, I've noticed that with the men that we work with, especially yes. in that, you know, we've talked about andropause mm-hmm. with Pearl Rogers, mm-hmm. but from that 40s onwards, it becomes even more pronounced that the consequence of that superiority in life is now starting to really play out and they're lost in their careers, they're lost in sense of fulfilment, they're lost in relationships that are not working. <coughs> yeah, w- by talking about andropause, you've introduced the topic of sex. <laughs> that by itself is fascinating, not because it's sex, but as, as, as a, a way in to look at the problem, as a prism to look, mm. look into this scenario with, with men. And, and it's, it's all quite odd because sexually a man is operating at his physical prime, not his knowledge prime, you know, 18 to 24. Mm-hmm. Um, a woman at her prime in her 40s, there's something a bit odd there. It's a, <laughs> it's a bit of a mismatch. And <laughs> a man in his prime uh, thinks about power, thrust. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's about, well, those two things, power and thrust. And he feels strong and powerful because he can do these things. And in some way that can bring a pleasure to a woman, or to some women at least, and he feels even more powerful in being able to do that and getting a level of satisfaction. All of that changes through the 30s as family comes and responsibilities come and financial pressures come. And there's less sex as a normal, within a relationship, as a normal state of being. That challenges the man and he tends to blame the woman. And he wants sex so they can fix their relationship. She wants to fix the relationship so they can have sex. And both will see it their own way and men aren't quite able to see it the other way because I'm a man. I should be able to have my needs satisfied. And speaking of single-sex schools, Peter, you and I are of an age and the changes we've come through in society are dramatic. Mm. In the time when I was a child, uh, child meaning pre-adult, as a teenager, uh, the Catholic church that I went to and uh, school was still promoting the notion of conjugal rights. Mm-hmm. The, the man could say to his wife, I want sex, and it was her duty to give him sex. Uh, these days they call that rape. Mm. But this, was a, this is in our life. Mm. And, and That's right. In many respects, I feel sorry for men because of the changes. 
And for the men who are not seeing those changes, I feel even more sorry for, but most particularly, I feel sorry for the women they're with mm-hmm. because they're not listening. Back to where we were, we get to our 40s and then, as Pearl has explained, andropause starts to kick in and a, one of the great outcomes of andropause is a loss of libido. And there are two hits of that during your 40s when your libido reduces. And for a man, that's a problem because he's identified himself as powerful and strong. And that means sexually. Mm-hmm. And that's being challenged and this little thing comes in called emotions and that's foreign and that becomes very difficult and then we keep on going through andropause into our 50s and 60s and the libido keeps going down the strength the physical strength of of a male decreases because of the the drop in testosterone and eventually we get to a point in in the 70s when libido for most people without the aid of chemicals will go or practically go at some point around that time. But it doesn't in women. They still have the same desire and ability to have sex as before the man doesn't. And that takes a whole lot of the reach of a reshift in the in the relationship. Because if the man has always thought of himself as powerful um, because he has a penis, then the refocus is significant. It's massive at that time. Who am I? Mm-hmm. What do I give to this? If, if I'm not the big strong man, who am I? And it really challenges a man's emotions. And if we have a wife who, or a partner who says, I put up with your nonsense for so many years that it's time for you to suffer through this, then the relationship's effectively finished. Mm-hmm. If we have a wife who says, thank God, you know, we've, we've reached a point of maturity, then I'm going to go with this and teach this person some more because I can feel for the first time an opportunity to so do, then we've got a good outcome and then we'll have a couple coming together. So sex, as Sigmund Freud said, is a, is a proper way to look into the life of man and, and women, of course, but, but men are our topic today. Uh, and, and it's very challenging. But what it's saying is that we start off at 18 with this physical virility and then we're in our 70s and we don't have that. Mm -hmm. And we have to revert to emotions. Why wouldn't we start that as a child? So our entire life is different. Our feeling and thoughts about relationships are different. And then we'd have a different world and we'd have a whole lot more satisfied women and happier men. Mm-hmm. Kind of sad that if people want to know more about andropause, um, mm-hmm. Pearl's episode on andropause was episode 16. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was special. It was. Yeah. Really, we had a great reaction to it. Mm. So we've got, you know, 70 seems a bit late in the game <laughs> to finally wake up <laughs> to this idea that you're not as superior as you think you were. How do we intercept? Like, how do we get into changing the, the, the perception of, of superiority earlier, you know, even in the 40s or 50s. I mean, why? We've got any comments about that, you know? Yeah, I'd like to look at that in this way. And it starts as a child with the segregation. The boys do boys things. And we get to an age and boys play sports separate to girls. Boys 
do different things to girls and uh, boys generally don't go to ballet mm-hmm. and on it goes. Mm-hmm. That starts the problem and that goes through. Now let's do a great big skip forward and we're into our 30s. And <coughs> men are, oftentimes men have had a family, they're divorced and they spend their time at the gym trying to bulk up, to look strong, to be strong. They spend their time, some of them, at a pub, but they spend their time with other men and that's what they do. And it reinforces that they're okay. Mm -hmm. But what they forget is that the greatest abuses visited upon men are by men, not by women. The greatest bullying of men is by men. That's true. The greatest hitting of at school by boys is of other boys. Mm-hmm. The greatest sexual abuses in history are by men upon boys, not by men upon girls. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It does. Once is too many, not the millions of times. But you think of the abuses upon boys, mm-hmm. many of which are never said. Not, I'm not necessarily saying just by, by fathers. It's usually not. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of violence to boys by fathers, but I'm talking sexual violence. That's so regularly within the family <clears throat> and it's within clubs, it's within institutions where there are a myriad of abuses, sexual abuses. And where do they turn to for help? Other men. But they don't get it. They get denial and they don't get heard. Mm-hmm. And, and there are times a boy, you know, in my case, because I went, was in, in the Catholic system in the time that I was, abuses were, were rife, it was prevalent. Mm. And like many others, I took myself off to my father and said, these things have happened. I couldn't have with that person. It's not possible. I don't believe you and I don't accept it. And even if you say it did and it did, that's not something we want to talk about. <laughs> mm. So, <clears throat> and, and that was a person, or people, not person, within the church. And... Where do you go? Mm. It never crossed my mind to go to my mother because she didn't have the power because dad was superior. Uh. You see? So we lead each other astray by believing that we can rely upon men and and men will give us our answers when it's women who will give us our answers. And, And we think men are wonderful, but they're the deliverers of abuse. No matter what age we are, I see... I've seen people in all levels of the highest echelons of society, men, get together in forums and they become like they were back at a, at a private school. Mm. They become mm-hmm. bullies. Yeah. They Absol- become... Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's stunning mm-hmm. the way they revert so quickly to poor behaviour to each other. The lack of equality mm. is, is quite stunning. Mm. But there's not a woman in sight. There's not a woman there to bring some balance and say, what are you, what are you men doing? Yeah. You're, you're CEOs, you're in your 50s or 60s and you're behaving like you know, 15-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Therefore, when are we going to wake up that we need to talk more to women, not just as children, that they're okay to talk to and we need to follow that through all, all of our life? That doesn't necessarily mean your mother. It might. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's It's... Redefining what we believe power is and uh, and strength, and to see that in in what women can offer, 
do you do you see that happening um, now, especially in a time when we're talking about we're, we're being very um, deliberate with talking about men and women, mm. and there is the changes are happening in terms of what a, a man is and what a woman is. And gender is kind of becoming a little bit, let's just say fluid. You, you mentioned the word unisex, mm. you know, and that is, that is kind of a, a push. What do you see as, is there anything that positive to come out of that? Or is it still important that we identify in the sex that we have uh, coming as well? We're on a topic that society would, accept a, a different view to a spiritual perspective because we believe in what you come to earth for, which we we have a role and we have things to repay, which we call karma. And if you come in a gender, then that's going to bring with it a lot of difficulties and advantages mm-hmm. that you're meant to use or overcome or and overcome. And to skip aside from that, is going to mean you'll pretty much need to do that journey again because you're meant to face up to what that gender brought to you in, in, in the life, good and bad. Society is allowing and accepting a lot more gender fluidity. There are benefits in that, but I do worry about how many people who are allowed to change gender, well, theoretically change gender, at a young age who realise the import of that later and want to change back, whether that be a year later or or, or 20 or 50 years Mm. later. What does it do, though? It's at least causing the discussion or the thought, Steve, that, you know, um, genders are not so far apart. But I I want to give you a different perspective. Would all of this gender fluidity be as necessary or as prevalent, if women were allowed to be more comfortable as women and were taught not only are they leaders of emotions, etc., but they need to teach that and they have to assume their position and they're at least equal. And to quote a Latin saying, in a relationship that primus inter pares, they're the first amongst equals, so they're mm. slightly more equal in a, in a relationship. And to assume that, and if a man was taught to be comfortable in his role as a man, knowing the shortcomings, knowing that he's not superior, knowing this is what he does and brings to a relationship to bring a balance and a quality, but these are the things that he needs to work on. Both are okay for the men and the women. So if we had more peace mm-hmm. about our own gender... Self-acceptance too. Exactly. Yeah. Then I, I argue, or we argue... Um, that there would be less need for the gender fluidity from people who can't accept where they are because of the unfairness of it. Yeah. You see? Yes, and that is a big driver, yeah. Can I ask what spirits' um, um, attitude towards heterosexuality and and homosexuality? Um, Most of the discussion so far has been in the context of male-female relationships we take a, a gay relationship, for example, what spirits view in terms of the life of men in, in that type of situation there? As you know, long before science caught up with it, 
spirituality is taught that homosexuality is something that you have no control over. You come with it. Um, and, and the only test you have is to be homosexual. And within any homosexual relationship, as, at least as I understand it, and it might switch and change, and I don't profess to be an authority, is that there, is, there are two clear roles. If both are comfortable within those roles, and that leads them to treat each other well and neither becomes superior, mm-hmm. then it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great thing. And if that can teach others, well, then that's a great thing too. That can teach heterosexual relationships. That that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. There are lots of things that you know happen in homosexual relationships, which heterosexual relationships think are bad, and and vice versa. But generally speaking, spirits at peace and thinks this, if that's what people genuinely, ge- genuinely and truly are, is homosexual, and they're meant to be in a relationship together, they should be. And they should adopt the roles that make it work, which might change. Mm-hmm. And if that brings them a happiness together and helps each other to grow and add to society, that's good. But let's never forget that it's going to bring a lot of difficulties in any homosexual relationship of, of any persuasion. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a question about um, the relationship between superiority and unfairness? Mm. Are they, are they, is unfairness a consequence of a feeling of being superior and not, and when you're not getting your way because of an expectation? (laughs) Yes, it is, Steve. If we follow that a little bit, the man feels superior and he's not getting his way with his partner who's a female in this, in this story. Mm -hmm. Um, Sooner or later, he's going to feel that's unfair. Mm. I'm a man. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. As a dad, my child's not listening to me because they're of this age. That's not fair. I'm a man. Mm -hmm. In their work, they're not getting to where they perceive they ought. That's not fair. It might not be because of gender unless they've got a female boss. Mm -hmm. Then it's possible. It might not be, but it's possible. Unfairness will come in very naturally and very easily to anyone who feels superior about anything. Mm-hmm. So they're not afforded the greatness that they, des- they believe they deserve. Mm-hmm. And, and if we take that out of here and, and we think of um, sporting people and someone's quite famous in their particular sport and the best in their team, they have an expectation of being treated differently, of being superior, being allowed to get away with, having wider boundaries than the less talented members of the team. Then when they get into trouble and they do something that society deems as not appropriate, they don't understand it. They have never been given the proper boundaries. So they believe that they've got a right to do things that others don't have the right to do and it's unfair. And, and it's unfair to be treated like everyone else. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's not. Everything therefore comes back to if we treat people equally, acknowledging their differences and their specialities, including in relationships, teams or anything else, it's going to be much better than what it is now. What, what is a, your advice? How does one who is feeling a sense of unfairness 
who resorts to that as a as a means of defending their position. How do you how do you what what advice would you give them to sort of move past the lens of unfairness in their life because it'll be holding them back. Sure, it will. It, it always will. Advice. It's very difficult because it's entrenched in them from mm. someone, oftentimes a father. But a lot of women feel unfair about having been treated as a female, mm-hmm. which wasn't as well as a male in their own upbringing. They carry that. It's just as prolific as men feeling unfair for all sorts of reasons. What do we say to them? Examine your life. Spiritually, what we know is that life's meant and you're meant to confront it mm-hmm. and you're meant to do what you're meant to do to be on track mm-hmm. and to deal with life as it's dealt to you. Those who are unfair are saying it's too hard. I want an easier way. Well, there isn't one mm-hmm. unless you want to feel unhappy, mm-hmm. unless you want to feel in jail, constrained. If you really want to feel free and like you're on purpose and you're doing something that's worthwhile in your life, then you have to be able to confront it and not see it as unfair, just it is. It is. It is as it is. And if you choose not to do that, that's okay, but don't complain to me Mm -hmm. because your life's not going to improve. See, what most people say to you is, how can I not do anything, but I feel everything comes more my way? They're a juxtaposition just can't happen we have to give and take Mm -hmm. and therefore the first thing i would say as advice is do something different because what you're doing is clearly not working your selfishness is clearly not working Mm -hmm. your self-indulgence is clearly not working i'm sorry that your mum's not around to do everything for you but it's time to stand up stand on your own two feet and start to give a little bit to others and then you will get back in proportion yeah sooner Mm -hmm. or later Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and another sort of, I guess this leads on from something else that you said, it was about self-acceptance, um, which seems important, especially if we're going to move towards more equality in in our relationships with, you know, with men and women. And have we got anything to say about how do we find more acceptance in who we are as a person? And, and regardless that I, I am a male, how do I find more acceptance? Did you, in that, I, I might have missed it, did you refer to, to a relationship in that? How do you find self-acceptance of yourself in a relationship? No, not in, in particularly in a relationship, but just as a person. <clears throat> the system upon which we're raised demands to differing degrees perfection or a striving for perfection. And in some schools, particularly private schools, that would be academic or in different arts and so forth, and, and these days more sport. In other schools, it's sport. In other schools, it's whatever it is. Mm. And uh, the parents join in that. Mm-hmm. And the parents push whatever they want to push their child in. So they strive to be as perfect as they can to, to meet the, the needs uh, of what someone else wants for them. And this brings all sorts of pressure so they can't admit what they can't do Mm -hmm. they just have to strive to be what someone else wants them to be which is closer to this notion of perfection Mm -hmm. that makes people very self-critical 
as a consequence of that, that the happiness goes because they're never quite getting there. And they're always looking for someone to say, you're just wonderful. But you're only wonderful for this moment until you achieve the next thing. So it's, it's, it's a, a dream that can never be perpetuated. And it's, and it's very sad. Yeah. So when, when we get there to the point of, you know, I'm, I just can't quite accept myself, can we drop perfection? Mm-hmm. Can we forget that? And can we find, I, these are the things I do well, these are the things I don't do well. And we might need someone else to tell us. Usually a counsellor is mm. the most important person because you, you won't do it just by yourself. Mm. Having done that, if we say it's okay to make mistakes, then we can choose for ourselves what we need to improve upon. Having done that, the journey's easy. Mm-hmm. Oh, easier. Easier, yeah. Mm. Pete, do you have anything you want to... No, I'm, I'm just uh, watching the clock here. I, just, I, I, I know I've, I've Ian's got, got so many things <laughs> to, to cover. Um, can I ask another question mm. or is there something else we want to lead into? Um, this is again from the group, just observing men and obviously all of this is relating back to me as well. Um, finding identity at a time in your life, say for, you know, you've been working a particular job or a career for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. You're now in your 40s or 50s, particularly maybe your body can no longer sustain the career that you're in. Um, we've noticed through observation just a lot of struggle that struggles that men have in trying to go, what do I do now in my life? How do I... How do I move past what I believe I have been doing and this is who I am? How do I find something that's fulfilling to take me to the next 20 or 30 years of my life? And it could be a transition in, in life that could be very difficult. Yes. Do you have any? Sure. Anything you want to share there? The, the difficulty in a transition in work is finances. Mm. What can I do that's better for me and I can earn the same money? Because the money is not only important, but it brings me a feeling of power. Mm. Because a certain income is a certain amount of power. And that needs to be dropped as a notion. And there needs to be substantial an, an acceptance that there might be substantial changes in lifestyle. But that's okay, because I'm now looking for happiness because my need to thrust and push and be powerful physically has gone from me. I've mm. worn it out, so I have to find something different. What is it? Simple. What am I passionate about? Mm-hmm. That's all. What makes me feel good, really feel good inside, mm. just like cuddling the teddy bear did. <laughs> and if we can yeah. find something that gives us that feeling of safety and security, of someone's with me, mm-hmm. someone's listening to me, someone's giving something back to me, mm-hmm. do that. Mm. Yeah. That might be a piece of wood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can, see, you can see the thread of superiority that just lead, you know that yeah, overshadows yeah. every kind of decision that we're making. Yeah, That's right. and it ties back to the hunter gatherer. <laughs> one, one, very quickly, I, I yep. know time is tight, but mm-hmm. one of the saddest things is that um, I've been able to have a look at a couple of dating sites. I've been shown them, and I see almost every time men in a gym holding a beer, some with a big, mean dog, mm-hmm. portraying themselves in these positions of power or blokiness. Mm-hmm. There's nothing 
that portrays them as to who they really are on the inside. Mm -hmm. It is so sad, the stereotyping and the need to appear powerful to women as if that's going to attract women. Mm -hmm. As if. It's a a delusional state. It Mm. does attract, Mm. but it's whether that's the right woman and whether you'll have a relationship or whatever. Well, if all they're interested in is a short-term sexual encounter, well, good on them. Mm -hmm. But sooner or later, that's going to lose its fulfilment. Yeah. I'm glad you raised that up because it's been an issue for some of the men too who are yep. now single and getting on dating apps. They're just finding it a horrendous experience. Change yep. how you show yourself. Mm-hmm. Be bold and show some softness. Mm. Show some insight. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Good. Okay. I think we're, uh, we're running out of time, unfortunately. Is there anything you want to conclude no, with, Ian? Or? No, Peter. I have... Um, Exhausted my throat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot more there that we could go into, but uh, thank you so much for sharing that today. We uh, very much appreciate it. And um, Steve's going to do a little bit of a wrap up, but we, as you know, we ask our guests to come up with a piece of music that means something to them that's of some significance. Now, you've chosen a particular song. Would you like to explain what you've chosen and why it's important to you? The song is by a country artist called Reg Poole. Mm-hmm. Not only a country artist, but from the country. Mm-hmm. And he's been around for a long time. And the song is called Jesus Who. On the surface, it will appear, appear to be a religious song or a song about Jesus, who, coincidentally, we don't see as a religious figure. We see as a healer. Mm-hmm. But it's not about that so much. What it's about, it really displays such a diversity between men and women and what they think, feel and believe. Mm. That's what it's about. Mm. No, it's a great song. I've listened mm. to it quite a few times. Uh, we'll play that shortly. Steve, oh, do you yeah. want to wrap up? I will. Thanks, Peter. So um, we want to say a few thank yous before we do wrap up this last episode for 2023. Firstly, to all the guests who have shared their inspiring stories, thank you very much and especially to you today, Ian. Um, we know that your stories have inspired a lot of people because we hear the comments on um, our Facebook page and, the, and we get direct messaging and we know that you are making an impact. So thank you for that. Um, to Marcus and Andrew from Radio Karim, thank you for your dedication and support to bring this service to the community and for uh, taking all our pesky questions and requests. <laughs> To all the Radio Karen sponsors who make this all possible, Freddie's Kitchen, Atticus Health, Seafood North IGA, Mitchell Tour Real Estate and Tad Cabinets, thank you very much. To the men who attend our weekly meetings, thank you for trusting us in your growth journey and being a great support to one another as well. It's been wonderful to watch that happen. Finally, to you, Peter, thank you very much for uh, putting up with me. And uh, actually, no, I'd say that in jest, but no, thanks very much for your support in this, in the radio show as well as with the men with spirit men's groups. Thank you, Steve. And uh, I certainly don't have to put up with you. I very much value our friendship and our collaboration. And as I shared with you last night privately, I have the highest regard for you and what you do. So thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. Our weekly groups have also wrapped up for the year and we'll be back in late January. Like our Facebook page at Men With Spirit to be kept up to date with the new dates or how to join one of our groups. We'll also have some details on how to find out more about Sphinx Spiritual on the episode's show notes on our Facebook page. Like all our shows, they'll be available on major podcast platforms within a day or so. Thanks for listening, everyone. We wish you and your families a safe, happy and joyful Christmas and New Year. We'll be back 
on air in early Feb. Until then. Until then, be true to yourself, be genuine. See you next year. Bye.